Welcome back to Attack of the Drones. Let's continue on with our documentary. So you can see three devices or three mobile phones down below and we're collecting data about at least those three people. That's a hacker. He's using technology installed on a drone to grab cell phone information from people below. This technology has been used on cell phones and laptops. One day it could be installed in a larger aircraft. Think helicopters or small planes. Down the road and uh, yeah, I see lots of devices. It must be the people walking down the road. He can also see your usernames, passwords, credit card information and get this, in some cases your home address. So somebody who's walking around the park that's most likely their house, one of these houses here. The tech on the drone is called Snoopy. We took Snoopy out for a spin on the streets of London. It'll fly within a relative close distance of a, a person with a phone tucked safely in their pocket. And if they've left their Wi-Fi on, which most people do in my experience, their phone will very noisily be shouting out the name of every network it's ever connected to. So they'll be shouting out, Starbucks, are you there? You can protect yourself by turning off your Wi-Fi. But if you don't, Snoopy can trick your phone and send back a signal pretending to be the network the phone is looking for. Then the drone can intercept everything the phone sends and receives. So your phone's looking for Starbucks and I pretend to be Starbucks. Your phone connects to me and then I can see all of your traffic. We tested it out on some dummy accounts we created. And we can see here, it's logging into uh, yahoo.com, so Yahoo Mail. And I created an account, uh, Angela Smith, and there's her username, and her password is abc123. So here's Amazon, also for PayPal. So PayPal, email address, username. And Wilkinson hacked his own Facebook account to demonstrate what that would look like. So let's pick on my Facebook account. So I can just say fetch Facebook profile, and from there I can do something like fetch all Facebook friends. Wilkinson is an ethical hacker. He built the Snoopy drone to highlight insecurities in smart devices. Some of the things Snoopy can do, like steal usernames and passwords, are illegal. Experts say other features, like tracking location data, would probably not break any U.S. laws. If the technology got into the hands of uh, criminals or bad hackers, which it may already have done, um, there's all kinds of things they can do. At the most basic level, they can uh, track people through, um, you know, through space and time. In a world where drones fly and tech enables them to potentially spy, it's more important than ever to protect your data. From what? That's right, a drone. Looks to me like we're headed for a reality where <laughs> we're nothing but a bunch of caged rats. How about you? We're monitored from below with Big Brother and now thanks to drones, we're being monitored even from above. But surely they're going to make it secure and, and, and those that have it are just gonna use it on those bad guys or terrorists, right? Well, folks, believe it or not, it's already being done for much more mundane reasons than that. One instance involves some potential cattle thieves in America and an actual predator drone was called in to hunt him down. Watch this. Well, we begin this afternoon with signs that the U.S. may be moving in the direction of becoming a police state. Now, we've heard about drones being used in the Middle East. Most recently, Iran seized a U.S. drone accused of spying on the country, but now reports that predator drones are being used on American citizens on U.S. soil. This video pretty much sums it all up. Nelson County, North Dakota's Sheriff Kelly Yonke went looking for six missing cattle on a Brossard family farm when three armed Brossard brothers chased him away. Yonke called the Highway Patrol, a SWAT team, a bomb squad, and a predator drone operated by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The drone was used to surveil the property until the Brossard brothers were observed to be unarmed. 
Then the SWAT team moved in to make the arrests. Yes, that really happened. An unmanned multi-million dollar drone was reportedly used to help local police track down stolen cows um, and their owners. So, so what is happening here in the U.S., and is this a sign of things to come? Uh, unfortunately, it would appear that way. But isn't that always the excuse? We're here to protect you, whether it's uh, terrorists or cattle thieves. Uh, let us do this for your own good. But again, the problem is, what if you became the bad guy? And who gets to define that anyway? And did you notice it wasn't just uh, camera software in that drone, it was infrared software that could see right through buildings in that drone. I mean, have fun hiding now. Drones can see through a crowd. Drones can see through a barn. I mean, we're toast. Unless you think this is just an aberration or just used by the military for hunting cows, uh, you better think again. U.S. police forces are also jumping on the bandwagon of using drones, and they're also starting to implement a drone surveillance system nationwide. Here's just one of them in California. Was show and tell day for the Alameda County Sheriff's Department. That agency is launching something of a PR offensive. They're trying to build support for expensive new technology many people say they just don't want. It looked like media day at the Bat Cave as the Alameda County Sheriff's Department showed off all the high-tech equipment at its disposal. There were bomb robots, radiation detectors, even a miniature submarine. But today's press conference was really called for one particular piece of equipment. For the drone here? For the unmanned aerial system, yes. Sheriff Greg Ahern doesn't like calling his new flying machine a drone. He knows they aren't particularly popular with a lot of people. But the department has purchased two of them for nearly $100,000. Why do you feel the need to call this press conference today? Because these uh, systems are very controversial uh, because of the uh, retention of data and because of the privacy concerns. And so we saw what happened in other agencies when they didn't have a press conference. San Jose police got a lot of flack for secretly buying theirs, but Ahern displayed a two-year timeline of what he calls a completely open process. He insists that the aerial camera will only be used for search and rescue, bomb threats, and crime situations where officers are in danger. If we have an opportunity to make a safer environment for our people, I'm going to deploy that system. Would that include protest situations? No, protests are dealing with you know, First Amendment rights and things of that nature. Opponents don't necessarily buy that. But Ahern says at a community meeting, 91% of people favored the use of the drones. It was very obvious that people were in support of us utilizing this type of system. But that may not be surprising since the timeline says the survey was conducted at a law enforcement barbecue. The department sees this as just another high-tech safety tool, but they know a lot of people fear it. And no amount of press conferences is likely to change that. And keep in mind with that fear, we're just seeing the very tip of the tip of where these drones are going to be released. But once again, hey, don't worry, it's for your for your own good, for your protection. We're here for you. Don't you feel safer already? Yeah, right. <laughs> and believe it or not, much of this rationale for this drone monitoring from the sky throughout the U.S. has come from all the riots and the police shootings in the U.S. recently that we keep seeing about in the news over and over again. And if we just have drones in the sky, they say, monitoring all this behavior, it wouldn't get out of hand anymore, like this news report shows. Well, drones, metal detectors, and a SWAT team, all part of security measures taken at tonight's Somerville homecoming football game. The enhanced security comes after Dorchester 2 school officials were informed of a potential threat between rival gangs. ABC News 4's Rob Maya was at the game tonight and has more. 
Although the heightened threat of violence may have kept many seats empty, those who did show up say they appreciate the precautions taken. If you were anywhere near John McKissick Field for tonight's Somerville versus Carlton County game, you knew something was up. It's very scary to come here tonight. It's such a change because I've been coming to the stadium for so many years, and now we have armed guards and have to, couldn't carry my purse, forgot my phone, so I'm just a little out of sorts. Metal detectors greeted fans. Drones kept a careful watch from above, and police were never far from sight. I saw people that were really scared about what could possibly happen, and I saw a lot of precautions taken to stop anything that could happen. For seniors, their final debut to was tarnished with the reality of the world we live in today. It's kind of scary. It's definitely different. Um, I've come here every year. And there's no been, not really been any security, but it's different. But they are taking precautions for our safety, and that makes me a lot more comfortable being here. And at the end of the night, this game will go into the record books, but not because of its score. And everyone I spoke with tonight said that this is the first time that they've seen these types of security measures being used at a high school football game. Oh, but I'm sure that's the only time and place they're going to do that. Folks, I'm telling you, you haven't seen anything yet. You think drones being used at a high school football game to monitor a crowd or gang activity is bad? What if something did break out? What if there was an excursion of some sort? What would we do? Oh, no. Well, once again, can you say drones to the rescue? Believe it or not, they're now equipping drones to not only monitor crowds, but also to take people out in the crowd. I kid you not, they're right there to get you if you get out of line. Check out this next video. All right, well, we talk a lot about predator drones here on RT, particularly ones that have the capacity to kill. But what about unmanned drones that can spout enough pepper spray and paintballs to deter protesters? That's exactly what's being marketed right now by a South African company called Desert Wolf. And it already has some loyal customers, one of them being an international mining company. The unnamed corporation has purchased 25 pepper spraying, paintball shooting, flying drones for the said purpose of riot control. The machine has been branded the skunk for its relation, of course, to a skunk's spraying capacity. It has eight electric motors with propellers that can lift and carry 4,000 pepper spray balls or other non-lethal ammunition. The device is equipped with four barrels firing up to 20 balls per second each, which could equate to 80 pepper spray balls per second. It's also fitted with strobe lights, blinding lasers, and onboard speakers to give verbal warnings to the crowds. Needless to say, there has been some backlash to this technology. Earlier, I was joined by Steve Rambam, CEO of Polarium Incorporated. I first asked him why a mining company would be interested in this kind of technology. Private industry and governmental agencies, uh, and especially law enforcement, are trying to find ways to minimize risk to take live humans out of the equation and to take live humans being injured out of the equation, uh, which I think is a good idea. The problem arises when these devices, drones, robots, uh, semi-autonomous security devices act on their own. When the humans are taken out of the equation, that's when I think we start, uh, uh, let's say, approach Skynet. Uh what did he say? Skynet. His words, not mine. 
Could these things really become autonomous all over the world and attack humanity? That's where it's headed. But notice how it wasn't just a mining company who was using these now armed drones on the populace. But he even admitted that law enforcement and governmental agencies were looking into this too. In fact, one man who's worked with the international police agencies is advocating, listen, quote, a drone army to redefine neighborhood watches where drones would be equipped with infrared thermal imaging to detect human movement inside of a car or even inside of a home. And now these surveillance drones they're developing are starting to look like something out of a Star Wars movie. Launch these babies into the air and your army, quote unquote, of surveillance drones is complete. Let's take a look at those.
yeah, I think I'd probably shoot it down too. <laughs> wow, Luke Skywalker eats your heart out. Can you believe this? Hollywood predicts our future again. Hey, hey, maybe we can get a, a, a laser gun too and, and shoot these things down with it as well. But I hope they never arm these things with the lethal weapons like in Star Wars. I, I mean, pepper sprays we saw it was bad enough, but, but not guns or lasers. Folks, I am telling you, like the man said on the news clip, Skynet is coming. His words, not mine. These drones will be armed just like in the Terminator movies, and they will take people out. In fact, Hollywood, again, is already doing a great job getting us prepared for this horrible science fiction scenario. Check out this scene from a recent Hawaii Five-O episode, the new Hawaii Five-O. Uh, it's almost like they know something we don't. Watch this. All right, this is QV-901. It's a surveillance drone with no other payload, which means it flies unarmed. Three weeks ago, while I was on a routine test flight, it was hijacked, never recovered. How do you hijack a drone? GPS spoofing. Somebody jammed Ven Pax's control signal to the UAV, fed it false GPS data, and made it land wherever the hijacker wanted it. Okay, so what are we looking at here? Inside job? Security breach? We don't know yet. Uh, Ven Pax gave us a list of all their current ex-employees that had clearance on the project, so we should run their names against the victims, see if we come up with a connection. Right, and if we find one, that might explain motive. I'll tell you something. It takes a special kind of brilliance to hijack a drone, arm it, and reprogram it. Notice it had facial recognition software too. But don't worry, once again, hey, we're here to protect you. It won't get out of hand. Yeah, right. Folks, this is really where we're headed. And it can all be hijacked, and we're gonna have a reality where drones are everywhere, even armed drones from the sky. And not just the military version monitoring killing, but it's about to get even worse. You thought killer drones was creepy enough? Wait till you see what the militaries around the world are doing with them. Skynet, I'm telling you, is almost here. And that brings us to the second deadly ability of drones that's coming to the planet, and that's with the military force. As we saw in the beginning with the history of drones, one of the greatest forces behind the continual development of drones is, of course, in the military. They not only use them and design them around the world for surveillance purposes, but, as we know in the news, lethal purposes as well. Making them, listen, literal armed flying killing machines just like in the Terminator movies. And they're getting more and more sophisticated and more and more armed in various ways with each succeeding year. Let's take a look at a few of the killer drones that are out there. 
In this edition, we look at the use of drones, one of the most controversial weapons in current day conflict. Drones play an increasingly important role in all scenarios of combat, as well as having a use in civilian situations such as search and rescue. But it's a use of drones as an automatic, almost insidious and often deadly weapon that causes most discomfort among politicians and those potentially under fire alike. Our reporters have been to meet the people who pilot the drones to see how they work and especially how they train and hear how they feel about what they do. For the Crowther, uh, his report starts in the American state of New Mexico. In the New Mexico desert, a whirring sound, like that of a lawnmower. It's what we came here looking for. That black dot in the sky is a predator drone with its tail pointing downward. Then, another one, the same sound, this time a reaper drone. The predator's big brother is more powerful and more lethal. Both took off from Holloman Air Force Base. Over 2,000 people live at Holloman, home to the world's biggest flying school for military drones. For his and his family's safety, the officer who will show us around has been told to hide his last name. A drone pilot, after all, is a target. Like many on base, Major Matt spent years as a fighter pilot before taking his place in a Predator cockpit on the ground. Now he teaches the new generation. In this school, they teach you how to go to war without ever setting foot in enemy territory. With the remotely piloted aircraft, we are in the United States flying aircraft that are on the other side of the world. Um, so we do go home at the end of every day, um, which is different. Uh, but it's, a, it's an amazing capability, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of support for the ground guys out there. And they request it because they know that we do a great job, and we're happy to do it. Both the Reaper and the Predator come fully equipped, just in case. This is your AGM-114 missile. It's a Hellfire, the same missile that's uh, used on our Apache helicopters. It's used for anti-armor, anti-personnel, and we have a variant for uh, buildings as well. The names given to these drones are no coincidence. They hunt and they kill. A Predator can carry 350 kilos worth of weapons, the Reaper over a ton. Today, this is a simulation that's being run right now for training over Kabul and Afghanistan. Um, so we can mark different things like potentially where the bad guys are, uh, where the good guys are. There's an unmistakable target. Someone forgot to delete this comment before our camera captures it. Blow this up, it says. Go off base and that is precisely the type of humor that is not appreciated. Oftentimes, when the opportunity to launch a Hellfire missile comes, the intended target is with somebody else. Very rarely is it ever that person singled out of a crowd. The constructors don't want to hear these critical voices. General Atomics, the company that builds the Predator and Reaper, has just announced its newest arrival, the Avenger. This one is being promoted as a fighter jet without a pilot. General Atomics promises savings galore on military budgets. And transformational technologies where affordable numbers... 
Yeah. General Atomics has its stand every year at the AUVSI convention, the drone show. The latest showcase was held in Washington, not all too far from the Pentagon. Unmanned vehicles come in all shapes and sizes, some for civilian, some for military use. Officers and members of the industry come to see the latest trends. More drones in the skies means new markets are opening up. This is a Viper Strike. We refer to it as Viper E. This is a glided munition that comes off of both manned and unmanned platforms. The U.S. Air Force no longer trains only its own pilots. Other countries need drone pilots too. These officers are French. Paris has bought two American-made Reaper drones. They won't be armed and will be used for reconnaissance only, says the French Air Force. The first French drone pilots received their training in the desert of New Mexico. At the end of our training here, we can use this kind of weapon system in an actual operational environment. In fact, we're expected very soon in the places where this drone will be used. We're leaving for Africa soon. Lieutenant Colonel Tongi Benzaken used to fly the French Mirage jet. Like him, all six of the French pilots in training are swapping a cockpit in the air for a cockpit on the ground. Other countries like France may follow suit. The US military now trains more drone pilots than fighter jet pilots. Wow, so much for just taking pictures and spying on your neighbor and delivering pizza. Can you believe this? These things are lethal and deadly. And believe it or not, we're about to see even more of this. As you saw, more drone pilots are being trained right now than regular pilots. And, and we're even trailing pilots from other countries to do the same as us. In fact, drones are not only in demand right now, more than ever before, due to the ongoing terrorist crisis that seems to keep getting worse and worse, but so much so that, quote, Congress has actually blocked the Air Force from retiring any of its drone assassins. That's a direct quote. And you think, well, why? Because they believe we have a deficit of these drones around the world and say it's only going to grow with all this terrorist activity going on and thus we can't get rid of any of them. It's too risky, they say. It's, it's almost like somebody opened up Pandora's box and there's no turning back now. And folks, that's what's going on. And, and they say, of course, the benefits are, quote, you can not only kill more bad guys and, and see where they are amassing themselves, but you can save more lives because you don't have actual manned pilots flying these missions. In fact, let's take a look at how these killer drones are controlled around the world from anywhere in the world and the stress it's creating on soldiers. It is a complete cultural change for the Air Force. Pretty soon we will have more unmanned than manned aircraft. It's almost surreal. Come down to the ground. Thank you. Other aircraft, airspace, altitude. All right, looks like we're by ourselves out here. 63 Bravo High, Delta uh, 6. This isn't a video game. This is a real airplane flying through real airspace. You need to be able to think through a three-dimensional problem that's located 7,500 miles away from you. Room 10 hood. The biggest risk that we accept is that, that detachment from it. Real live weapons doing a real mission. I try to ensure that people understand there are people who are counting on us to do the mission.
you're no longer sitting at Creech Air Force Base. There's severe both military and political consequences if we fail. Get in that mindset. When you step into the GCS, you are in the fight. This is a very precise weapon where we're putting a laser down and pointing at a target and the weapon follows the laser. So it's very precise and it hits what we want it to hit. And Viper from Deadly have a single individual on the roof on the north corner employing weapons at this time. One time we had intel that you know, there's a bad guy riding around on a motorcycle, if you will. And uh, he's just riding around and he stopped at two or three different playgrounds and he's playing soccer with all these kids, you know, and he's just, he's living his life and he's, he's doing his normal everyday life. And then, you know, sure enough, at the end of that ride, though, we found him at a uh, meeting of bad people. And it ended up resulting in a strike, so you end up seeing what happens. Get the copies that we got eyes on. Zero 05 rifle, time of flight 15 seconds. That's 10 seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Good splash. Going to war has meant the same thing for over 5,000 years. Going to war meant that you were going to a place where there was such danger that you might never come home again. You might never see your family again. Now compare that experience to that of a Predator drone pilot. You're sitting behind a computer screen, you're shooting missiles at enemy targets, you're killing enemy combatants, and then at the end of the day, you get back in your car, and 20 minutes later, you're at the dinner table talking to your kids about their homework. Hey, guys. Daddy. Hi. I mean, they know I, I fly UAVs, but I don't necessarily go home and tell them that, you know, what mission I flew or something like that. How was your day, buddy? Um, good. Yeah? That's a challenge in the job that you've got to do that day in and day out. What did we say? We're finding that some of these units, uh, these drone pilots, actually have combat stress and PTSD even, just like the units physically deployed into Iraq and Afghanistan. And it makes perfect sense when you pull back and think about it, because this disconnect of being at war and at home is very tough for the human mind to wrap itself around. Uh, I would say so. What, what a contradictory scenario. You have the controls of something that looks like you're playing a video game, but it really does blow people up. And yet at the end of the day, you walk away, you go home and get some food. Hi kids, hi honey, I'm home. And no wonder you're having problems with this. But speaking of video games, I, I'm sure they haven't been using video games to uh, prepare a younger generation here in America for this new type of automated warfare with drones, would they? Uh, you really think that's my chance, folks? Check this out. It's been going on for quite some time. Watch this. Video games about war are obviously very popular, and now war is becoming more like a video game. I mean, look at this controller for a remote weapon system. Look familiar? Well, what if I told you that the United States military played a huge role in the invention of video games? This all started back in the 50s, when there was this looming paranoia about the possibility of nuclear apocalypse. I mean, it was the beginning of the Cold War, and the world was a much less fun place to live in. There were nuclear sirens going off everywhere, there were even cartoons about being killed by nuclear bombs. What are you supposed to do when you see the flash? <laughs> 
Worse, there weren't any fun video games to play. The only computers were these huge mainframes that cost a million dollars and only existed at elite research facilities. They were mostly used for crunching numbers for the US military. Like say, I don't know, calculating the trajectory of a ballistic missile. So it's weird then that out of this dead serious environment, video games were born. Tennis for Two, the very first American video game outside of OXO, which doesn't really count because it's basically tic-tac-toe, was developed on military equipment. It was invented by William Higginbotham, a prim and proper 48-year-old physicist who had previously worked on the development of the atomic bomb and later became a leading non-proliferation advocate. While assigned to Brookhaven National Laboratory, a base that pioneered nuclear weapons, he noticed that visitors to the lab often were kind of bored. So he had this great idea. What if he repurposed a Donner Model 30 analog computer to play a game. The Donner was this hulking 28 pound metal box with a voltage meter out front instead of keys. It worked by plugging in wires into different holes. But sure enough, it worked. Tennis for Two was a hit. On October 18, 1958, hundreds of visitors lined up in front of the lab in Upton, New York, which at the time was filled with all these crazy machines like something you'd see in an H.G. Wells novel. These visitors had one goal and one goal alone, to hit a tiny blue ball back and forth across the screen of an oscilloscope. The crazy thing is that Higginbotham used his experience as a researcher at the radiation lab at MIT to create Tennis for Two. So what that means is that one of the earliest video games on record would not exist if the military hadn't been dumping so much money into weapons of mass destruction. Okay, fast forward to 1961. Patsy Cline's Fall to Pieces is on the radio, The Pony is the hot new dance move, and a group of students created a game called Space War. Perhaps unsurprising for a game about two spaceships shooting each other, Space War was developed at MIT's Lincoln Lab, which was another military R&D center which was chartered specifically to defend the nation from air attacks. There, these MIT students had access to the enormous PDP-1, a computer that was designed by two former students of the lab. The first PDP-1 was sold to the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory in California, which, surprise, surprise, was a pioneer in the research of nuclear weapons. Fire. But Space War was a huge hit as students quietly passed copies of the code to each other in the hallways. The computer scientist Alan Kay told Rolling Stone in the early 70s, Space War blossoms spontaneously wherever there is a graphics display connected to a computer. It's important to remember that the kinds of people who are making and then later playing games like Space War were not future five-star generals. They're basically hippies. They're people like Nolan Bushnell, whose first act after founding Atari was to create a Space War knockoff called Computer Space. I know, very creative. Atari was a place where, in Bushnell's own words, pot smoke filled the air and hippies skated between arcade machines. Bushnell wanted Atari to be an extension of San Francisco's popular Haight-Ashbury neighborhood that was just up the street. So games owe a lot to long-haired, liberal-minded people advancing new ideas on machines entirely funded by the US military. Next, let's Let's set the time machine for 1966, the year that the first video game console was developed. It was originally a prototype called the Brown Box because it was a brown box. It was invented by Ralph Baer, a Jewish-American immigrant who fled Germany with his parents just before the Holocaust. Baer found himself working at a company called Sanders Associates. And surprise, surprise, Sanders Associates was a defense contractor who specialized in aircraft defense systems and was later acquired by Boeing. When Baer wasn't creating tools to snoop on the Soviets or designing Saturn V launch equipment for the space race, he was using military-funded technology to bring video 
video games to the masses. The brown box prototype eventually became the Magnavox Odyssey, and video games became the flourishing industry that we know and love today. Just dance? Like, why do you think I would want to play this? As for the military, well, they changed courses. They looked around and said, hey, maybe we can take advantage of all these amazing games that we've been inadvertently funding. One of the earliest instances is the 1980 tank game Battlezone. The game was so realistic for the time that the army approached Atari, who made Battlezone, about creating a new version called the Bradley Trainer, which would teach gunners how to blow up other tanks without the high cost of blowing up other tanks. The action's so real, you just might forget it's a game. Zone. Some of the folks at Atari hated the idea of working on a game like the Bradley Trainer so much that they just refused to work on it. Nonetheless, this marked a turning point. Games would push the military to new places, not the other way around. In the early 80s, DARPA began experimenting with video games as a form of combat simulation, resulting in something called SimNet, which allowed fledgling pilots to try their hand at flying a helicopter or an airplane. Then in 2002, America's Army was released as a recruitment tool, and it uses the same technology that powers games like Gears of War. And then finally, last year, in a pull quote that makes me weep for humanity, a drone pilot told the guard that drone strikes were a lot like playing a video game. So what began as free spirits turning war machines into peacetime playthings has come full circle. Peter Singer, the former director of the Brookings Intelligence Center, said that games like Call of Duty inspire combat and set the expectations for what future wars might look like. You might say, it's advanced warfare. And hey, I didn't even get a chance to talk about the licensing of military weapons in video games or virtual reality. Palmer Luckey, the guy who created the Oculus Rift, got his start working on virtual reality at a lab that was funded by the U.S. Army. Okay, so much for being a coinkadink. Looks like we've been prepared for this future advanced warfare with drones. And you can see why when you look at the trim. Drone technology has grown so fast that right now one-third of all military aircraft are now drones. And this is why right now there are three times the amount of drone pilots being trained as opposed to regular man pilots as we saw. Pilotless planes are now the new emerging warfare as these experts admit, but it's gonna come at a price. Watch this. The U.S. drone operations have dramatically increased uh, over Obama's presidency but still remain the spearhead of surveillance and airstrike uh, missions held by the U.S. military in different conflict regions in the world. Now, according to the exclusive revelations by the Wall Street Journal, the Pentagon is looking to expand the operations even further. The statistics is pretty telling. Now, uh, it started with just 10 daily flights uh, by U.S. drones. Uh, 10 years ago in 2005. As it stands, it's about 60 flights per day uh, conducted by drones uh, in the conflict regions uh, across the world. Uh, but the new plan suggests that by the year 2019, the drone operations will increase by at least 50%, amounting to about 90 flights per day. Now, not only the uh, actual amount of flights of drone flights will increase in four years, but also the territory uh, where these drones will be operating will expand as well. For now, drone operations have been mostly restricted to uh, Pakistan, Yemen, uh, Somalia and Libya. But uh, according to the new plan, the territory may be expanded uh, to Ukraine, Iraq, Syria, the southern Chinese Sea and North Africa. Just over the last uh, four or five years, the, the tremendous increase in maturity of the systems. It's growing in almost every way you could categorize it. It's growing from a resource standpoint, it's growing from from a technology 
energy uh, standpoint, so it, it's definitely growing. We're seeing just a huge explosion of unmanned systems. It's incredible. Canada, the UK, Australia, France, Italy, Germany, all the major countries are heavily involved in uh, development as well as acquisition of, of unmanned systems. U.S. Congress mandated that one-third of the military is going to be unmanned by 2015. And our view was, boy, if it was our problem, how would we do it? It's a, it's a military program, large military program, uh, bi billions of dollars. One of the subcontracts under that was to build the ANS system, which is the Autonomous Navigation System. The Jeep size all the way up to the large striker asset as well, so we kind of run the gamut of different size platforms. I had U.S. Army tank on it. You'll see unmanned ground systems, and you'll see that integrated with UAVs. For the first time, warfighters will have God's view and the up-close and personal view and a three-dimensional view. So things are really changing. They're really changing quickly, and we're happy to be part of that future. Robots that kill. In the movies, they portray a future that has gone terribly wrong. They are no longer science fiction. The demand for robots is growing and growing very rapidly. Robots can save lives. Remotely piloted aircraft allow us to project power without projecting vulnerability. What happens when armed robots can think for themselves? The robots themselves will be sent to an area, and if they find anybody, they kill them. Who gets to use them, and how? Strictly speaking, under the laws of war, they're committing murder. What are the repercussions for us? It's an incredible, elegant technology that's on the cutting edge, and that's why scientists are so excited to work on it. But it may well be something that we regret later on. As we move to more autonomous systems, then that begs the question of, well, how far do we let them go? And that's the problem. Uh, maybe you shouldn't go this route. M maybe you're opening Pandora's box, or as the movies call it, Skynet. And you might be thinking, well, okay, maybe that's just our military personnel thinking that and planning on that and working with others in the industry. But I, I'm sure our politicians and, and, and presidents would put a stop to it if this gets out of hand. Actually, Obama is not only an apparent huge fan of drones, but he's even boasted that he is, quote, good at killing people with them. I didn't say that. He did. Watch this. If it's true... It is a big, big scoop. Coming, of course, from John Howman and Mark Halperin, the authors of that new book, Double Down, Game Change, Game Change 2012. They claim that on the campaign trail in 2012, President Obama told aides that he is, quote, really good at killing people. According to the authors, Obama made the comment last year while discussing drone strikes. And while the White House hasn't officially commented, Obama advisor Dan Pfeiffer said over the weekend that neither he nor the president have read the book. Arthur... That's like the lamest excuse ever for like a, a quote that's attributed to you, right? I, I haven't read the book. So does that mean if he never reads the book, he never has addressed the fact that he walked around saying he's good at killing people? He might as well have said, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Uh, so we, we, we noticed, Barack Obama, that you were very good at killing people, having offed thousands with drone strikes. And of course, your most famous victim, uh, what's his name, Osama bin Laden? And, uh, but the, the, the quote, the, the relish that he seems to take in uh, the taking of human life is sort of unseemly, I'd say, and not the best thing for a politician to say. Uh, so uh, pretty nasty stuff. And, and that denial that you just reported is not a very strong denial at all, is it? 
No, <laughs> he didn't say <laughs> it's like he didn't say I didn't say it. He didn't say that's d- disturbing or that's disgusting. or I, I'm that's outside of my character. He said, uh, I can't. I haven't read the book. I'm busy. He, he couldn't say, no, Obama doesn't like killing people. Right. Couldn't even say that. You know, the last thing I ever, ever expected to come out of a Nobel Peace Prize winner's mouth is this. I'm really good at killing people. Yes, folks, according to a new book, Double Down, our beloved president, constitutional lawyer, Nobel laureate Barack Obama, apparently loves to brag about how well he can execute human beings with drones. Now I know what you're thinking, it's probably the Republicans making him say such things, because you know, he can't look weak on defense. But shockingly, no, it's all the credit of Barrio. See, during the 2012 election, journalists Mark Halperin and John Heileman were reporting on Obama's campaign. And it was during this time that the drone king reportedly boasted to his aides about his kills. Since becoming manager of the U.S. empire, Obama's rapidly increased the use of drones abroad. And his hundreds and hundreds of strikes have put Bush's measly 52 drone attacks to shame. See, thousands of dead women, men, and children don't lie. They also can't speak or defend themselves in any way. Now, for those of you who are still not offended at the president's disregard for human life and think this is just the way politics works and that every president has blood on their hands, let me remind you of this. One of the chief architects of the drone program, John Bellinger, said that the reason why Obama has ramped up the use of these killer robots is to avoid the bad press of Guantanamo Bay. So you know what? I'll give it to him. He is really good at killing people. Because if there's one thing voters hope for when electing him, it was expedited murder. Wow. (laughs) Doesn't look like Obama's going to be interested in shutting this program down when people find out just how horrible it really is. But, but wait a second, that's just overseas, right? I mean, the, the president wouldn't ever use them on American people on American soil, would he? Well, according to the Department of Homeland Security, a plan has recently been advanced to deploy, quote, public safety drones in the skies right here in America and an action already authorized by Congress and called for the deployment of 30 thousand drone surveillance vehicles. The Department of Homeland Security says it's just for public safety matters or disasters. But many feel the president may have a different idea on how best to implement this new killer technology. Quote, he is well known for his obsession with remote drone attacks, reportedly going so far as personally sit in on unmanned area vehicle missions. And when asked about concerns about the possibility of military drone sites within U.S. borders, he not only failed to deny that he has such plans, just like his other quote, but he made it clear that his administration is working closely with Congress to develop a legal framework, quote unquote, that would allow the chief executive and his subordinates the leeway to initiate, listen, strikes right here at home. I'll say that again, folks right here at home in America. In fact, drones are already being used in America to monitor our borders and fix our so-called border crisis that we keep hearing about. One issue that will be getting a lot of attention from the new Congress is border security, and members won't be happy when they see this story. It raises serious questions about how taxpayer money is being spent on the border. Jeff Pegues has a look. 
With 7,000 miles of U.S. land to patrol, increasingly U.S. Customs and Border Protection is relying on drones to help arrest illegal immigrants. But this Department of Homeland Security Inspector General's report raises questions about whether the program is worth it. In 2013, it accounted for 2,200 arrests. There are 10 drones flying in the program at a cost of $62 million a year. Over the last 10 years, this unmanned eye-in-the-sky program has cost nearly $500 million, and it's getting an additional $443 million in funding. Armed Predator drones have been used on the battlefield in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Here along the U.S. border, Predators are used strictly for surveillance. Uh, for now, or at least that's what we're being told. But I'm sure they'll never use them to take out people on the border. Really? We just saw Obama's desire in the Department of Homeland Security's framework to do this very thing, even on American soil. And we're not the only country doing this, folks. As we've been seeing, this is truly a global movement. The whole world is getting on this rush to monitor and control the skies with killer drones. Not just drones, but again, killer drones, exactly like in the Terminator movies. Not only has Russia been working overtime developing their own killer drones, but they recently announced plans to build a military drone base in the Arctic, listen, just 420 miles off the Alaskan coast. And China has already successfully developed a drone defense system and are making so many drones that they're now selling them to other countries. Yay, thanks China. Everybody's got them now. France, Germany, Italy, Turkey, England, India, Israel, Iran, Pakistan, and it's growing. Quote, every country, listen to this, every country will have armed drone within 10 years. This is what the reports are saying. And also that armed aerial drones will be used for targeted killings, terrorism, and government suppression of civil unrest. You better not object, okay? Uh, which basically means if you and I, the average Joe, get out of line, they're gonna use these things on us. And what's worse is that the experts are saying, quote, it's too late for you to do anything about it. Can I translate that for you? Skynet is coming to our planet whether you or I like it or not. It's the new arms race. Just like we saw in history with the, the nukes of old, the, it, it's become now the new Cold War. It's a drone war. Countries around the world today are now scrambling to get ahead of each other on these killer drones. And folks, that's not just alarming. But as you can see, it can very well be laying the foundation for a real live Skynet system. In fact, there's already a global entity in the works to control the whole system, just like in the Skynet scenario. And it's all because of the fear factor of having killer rob robots or, or killer drones flying all over the world. Right now, the UN, the global entity, right? They're calling for, quote, killer robots to be strictly monitored because they see the potential dangers of this new rapidly advancing technology creating a new type of arms race. And that's just in the sky. Folks, listen to this. Believe it or not, the military is also putting killer robots on land, in the ocean, and literally everywhere you can think of. The whole planet is going to be crawling with them. The skies are just the beginning of this military analyst as he shares with us. Let's take a look at that. Drone usage is rapidly increasing throughout the world. From 2005 until present day, the number of countries operating these platforms nearly doubled. This trend is only going to continue, if not accelerate. But all drones are not created equal. There is a massive variation in physical structure, capabilities, and the systems that these platforms operate within. When most people hear the word drone, 
they commonly think of a US-operated Predator and associate it with its targeted strike capabilities. This represents a very small niche in reality. It is important to understand that UAVs are actually a subset of a broader category of unmanned vehicles that operate on land, below the ocean, on its surface, and in space. So UAVs are currently the most prominent and advanced in military utility, but other subsets, such as unmanned underwater vehicles, are being developed, tested, and adopted quickly into forces as well. UAVs can be as small as an insect to as large as a 737 airliner, and their capabilities are nearly as diverse. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. D did you catch that? Land, water, space, size of a bug, or a 737 airliner? In fact, let's take a look at that amazing diversity that most of us have no clue has been developed this whole time. For instance, you see, you just think that was a bird you saw, but it wasn't. It was a drone. Check this out. It is a dream of mankind to fly like a bird. Birds are very agile. They fly not with rotating components, so they fly only by flapping their wings. So we looked at the birds and we try to make a model that is powerful, ultralight, and it must have excellent aerodynamic qualities that would fly by its own and only by flapping its wings. So what would be better to use uh, the herring gull in its freedom circling and swooping over the sea and use this as a role model? They made a robot bird. I hope they don't arm it. Uh, but as you can see, that looked just like a bird, a large seagull or something, but it wasn't, it wasn't. And that's not the only thing they're mimicking, folks. Uh, maybe you think you saw a lizard creeping around on the wall, but it wasn't a lizard. Maybe it's a robot gecko. Not kidding you, check this one out. One of the scientists they've tapped to bring this vision to life is Mark Kutkowski. DARPA has a program to try to develop climbing robots for various applications, surveillance, inspection, and so on. I'm Professor Mark Kutkowski at Stanford University, and my goal is to build robots that can go anywhere. One of the advantages of climbing robots is surveillance, uh, spying, or uh, monitoring areas, because they can climb a building or a tree or another structure. The ability that we required was for the ability for a robot to walk up a vertical surface and achieve a position high up in a tree or up a telephone pole, up a, up a wall. To achieve this daunting goal, Kutkowski worked closely with biologists to unlock the mysteries of nature's best climbers. We've been collaborating with uh, Professor Robert Fole at UC Berkeley for a number of years. Dr. Fole shot slow-mo videos and microscopic photos of insects to find out how they used tiny spines on their feet to climb vertical walls. 
Applying Foles' discoveries, Kutkowski set out to develop the feet for a climbing robot named Rise. Here you can see how the spines are grabbing little bumps and pits on the surface, and we have lots of these tiny spines, so they share the load. The real hard problem came down to how do you achieve the attachment forces between the foot and the vertical surface that's great enough to support the weight of the vehicle itself. If you want a robot that climbs vertical surfaces, smooth, rough, dirty, clean, then the gecko really is the premier example of a climbing animal. The gecko can cling to glass by a single toe and walk upside down on the ceiling. It sticks to the surface through a phenomenon called van der Waals forces. Van der Waals forces are a basic molecular attraction that always exists between any two molecules if they get close enough. And it has to do with a kind of momentary um, arrangement of the electrons. And you can take advantage of it if you can get really intimate contact between two different surfaces. Millions of tiny hairs on the gecko's toes create the intimate contact with a climbing surface that generates van der Waals forces. Kutkowski and his team have built a droid called StickyBot that harnesses that same power. It is basically our attempt to um, take the, the principles that we've learned from how geckos climb and apply those to a robot that also uses van der Waals force to climb vertical surfaces. The secret to StickyBot is in the uh, adhesive pads that are on its toes. Kutkowski's team fabricated pads that have hundreds of nanoscale stalks. As with the gecko, the stalks are sharply angled, so the toes stick when going in one direction, but easily peel off when pulled the other way. When you load it with gravity, the way the robot loads it, it sticks. And to make it detach, you just have to pull it a little bit in the opposite direction, and it pops right off. Now imagine troops of real Terminators climbing up the side of a building, spying on the enemy, and waiting for that moment to attack. Once a robot climbs up there, it can hang. It doesn't have to expend any power, so it can cling there for hours or even days, unobtrusively. That's quite different from something like a small helicopter, which always has to expend a lot of power and make a lot of noise. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But uh, before you go, let me ask you a couple questions. Did you know the Bible says that God is holy? and that we are not. Holy means without sin. God is without sin. The problem is we have sin. We've done some things that are wrong. And the problem with this is the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. In other words, we need to, we deserve to die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And that's the ultimate question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Well, unless you deal with the sin issue, the Bible's very clear. We're not going to go up. We're going to go down. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, God wants to fix this for us. He's made a provision uh, so that we could escape hell and go to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. But we don't want to admit it. And so out of love, he sent us something called the Ten Commandments. It's his way to give us an x-ray so that we can admit we got a problem, that we have sin inside that separates us from him. And if we would just admit it and ask for his help, he'll fix it. But let's take a look at his divine x-ray. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment says... Uh, if you will, you think you're good enough to get to heaven, you're holy like God, you're without sin, uh, then prove it to God. Don't ever bear false witness. That's the ninth commandment, which means lying. 
So how many guys have ever told a lie ever once in your life? Well, every single one of you should have raised your hand because we all have. Believe it or not, that disqualifies you right there for heaven. The Bible also says you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. Folks, if we're honest, we've done that too. The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And now the blessed name of Jesus Christ has become a common cuss word. That's called the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says you shall not commit adultery. You think you're worthy to get into heaven, just march on in there yourself, all by yourself. You don't need God's help. Then don't ever commit adultery. And Jesus said his standards is this. If you ever look at lust with your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, I haven't done that one. Really? Once again, here's the Bible standard. Jesus said that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, is akin to the sin of murder. You just, if you will, pulled the trigger in your heart. But that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to have to admit who you are. He already knows, but you're going to have to admit, hey, God, let me in. Let me into heaven. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, murderer. And the Bible is very clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. But here's the good news. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. He took the death penalty in our place. Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And he took our punishment on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. It's called a pardon. God wants to pardon you. But that pardon will do you no good unless you reach out and receive it. Won't you do that today? Won't you do that right now? You don't even know if you have tomorrow. You may not even make it through the rest of this documentary. Don't leave this earth without Jesus being your Lord and Savior. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and the Bible says you shall be saved. Well, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and again, I hope you're enjoying our documentary, but please make sure that you're headed to heaven today. I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.